Disclaimer, this content is meant for information only and not as a diagnosis or medical treatment for any condition. If you or a loved one needs help, please seek out a qualified medical professional for assistance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Oshta, BSN, RN, IBCLC, and infant feeding specialist. Quench your thirst for knowledge and travel with me across the nation to discover, learn, collaborate, and better serve clients from all over the globe. Let's ride and thrive together. Eva Feiback is a lobopedian, which means SLP. Since 2005, she has specialized in the treatment with dysphagia and neurological disorders and augmentative communication. Eva has worked at the School for Neurodiverse Children, many of them with eating and swallowing disorders, and is in private practice for many years. Eva is at IBCLC since 2018, and for the last six to seven years has been working with hundreds of families with breastfeeding issues. Eva visited the masterclass in Seattle in 2020, took Doggy's course as a TBI ambassador, Dr. Hansen's course, and took multiple courses with AOMT in London, and many more to learn how the treatment of tongue tie and breastfeeding difficulties are treated in other parts of the world. Eva has gained foundational knowledge in physical therapy for infants and toddlers and in different forms of TMJ treatment, myofunctional therapy, and more. Eva is also a teacher for the EISL, the European Institute for Breastfeeding and Lactation for Oral Anatomy and Swallowing Disorders in Children and Tongue Tie Treatment and more. Please welcome Eva Feiback to the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Eva. I'm so excited to talk to you and to learn more about lactation and tongue tie and really you know, how it's very different in Germany than in the U.S. So first of all, thank you again for your time. Thank you, Katie, for having me. Yeah, I mean, it was a, got a big time difference here, too. I mean, it's already your evening and just barely my morning. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's time true. That's different. true. <laughs> so I came across your name first because as an IBCLC, you have taken the master class, which yeah. is, you know, for those of you who are listening who haven't heard, although I talk about it a lot. It's a very large class taught by four or five instructors, depending upon which version of the course you took now. I think it's just four, you know, so you've got an IB, two IBCLCs, a body worker, which is a chiropractor and a myofunctional therapist. Mm-hmm. So we're they're talking about how tongue tie is assessed and diagnosed and treated, but from different perspectives. So it's a really big course. And it's really very in-depth, much more in-depth than most tongue-tied courses, I would say, because I've taken a lot of them and this is definitely more in-depth. So that's how I came across your name. And you took this in right before COVID, correct? Yeah, that is true. I I took it in 2020. So I went to Seattle with a friend of mine uh, who is also an IBCLC. Her name is Katharina von Herf. And uh, she just brought me into this whole topic, more or less. And um, yeah, so we went there 2020, just uh, and shortly afterwards was the lockdown. So we were just lucky to be there in person and not uh, have taken the class virtually, which might be okay also. But I was happy to be there, you know, and it was a large course. Yeah, I think there were over 100 participants, which is uh, even more. Yeah, I don't know. It was uh, many, many people there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it sounds awesome. I took mine virtually and I wish I had been able to do the in-person. Um, mm-hmm. I think that while you, there's benefits to both, you know, the virtual, it's nice to be able to break it up and take it when you can, but you definitely, well, I mean, I think most of us get it done much faster doing it in person, right? And a lot of us learn differently. I mean, being able to be hands-on with people, it you know definitely can be a great way of learning. Yeah, it can be a great way. But I think what I really enjoyed is, you know, to to be in a different country and uh, to see how people are doing it here and, you know, meet the people in person. And it's just a different spirit. So, you know, to meet Brenna and Jennifer and Alisa and uh, all the other ones who were on the team, that was really, yeah, that was really a nice experience. And we were very excited and very happy to have done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's definitely a far course and a, a long way to go for it. But it is an amazing course, you know, yeah. and I think that it's, it is definitely very different between Germany and the US, right? And how lactation and tongue tie is, is viewed and treated. Yeah, so what I believe is that when we started, I mean, when we went over in 2020, tongue tie wasn't that much uh a topic here in Germany. I mean, it just started to be a huge topic. So we're just way behind, you know, America, I think. But now I think there are more people um, have taken the, the masterclass and who are in this topic and working in this area. But I think what is so different here is that our health system is so different. Yeah. And um, that it developed really in in different directions. And I think, you know, what I learned in this field is that, you know, my my primary profession is I'm an SLP. I think not only an SLP, I think there are differences to the ones in America. So we usually learn in um, when we do our studies and exams, we also learn everything about swallowing and myofunctional therapy, which is everything is included, you know, neurological disorders. So I've been treating them for a long time. And then so a lot of Things that are taught in uh, in the masterclass, I, I already knew and uh, I could see, well, this is working for me or this is not working for me or I learned this in a different way, stuff like that. But that is very different. So I'm one of the few SLPs in Germany who has also lactation knowledge. So I'm coming from a very special angle, I would say, and I can see that most lactation consultants or a lot of lactation consultants, we they didn't know anything about oral function or the baby's role. And the baby didn't play that much role before, I think, five, six years ago in every lactation consultation, even not with the IBCLCs, only if there were very, you know, sick people, uh, sick babies or um, babies, um, yeah, we had palate um, difficulties, something like that, but not uh, not really in the area of tongue tie. That was only uh, knowledge to some people here in Germany. Yeah, I think that being an SLP and an IBCLC is going to give you a unique perspective in any country. It's it's less common, definitely. I mean, I, I know a handful of them in the US, but it's mm-hmm. not something that's super common here either to have, Ah, you know, those two licenses put together. So I think it it gives you a unique perspective. But like you were saying as well, it sounds like the SLP programs in Germany are a lot different than the SLP programs here because here there is no myofunctional therapy brought in. That's a totally separate degree. 
and it's not taught to SLPs at all. Ah, okay. So that's what I thought, or that's that's what I learned, and that's something we do all the time. So myofunctional therapy is part of speech therapy all the time. You know, just like preparation or see if uh, there's any anatomical difficulties while producing speech sounds or anatomical difficulties or functional difficulties in swallowing. So it's all, you know, usually you all mix it together. So you're looking at the swallowing, you're looking at myofunctional and you're looking at articulation. And of course, if you have patients who only have swallowing disorders, you just treat the swallowing disorders and maybe breathing also. So we have we learn a part of everything, you know, so I think we're, I'm coming really from a different angle. Yeah, that and is yeah so um, that was, you know, when I started with this work and um, learned about lactation, that was something I always wanted to do. And that's but something we don't learn while becoming an SLP. And we, we are not taught a lot about babies in general and um, babies, how they swallow and how myofunction and how sucking and everything is working. So uh, when we started, I I learned by becoming a lactation consultant and then afterwards doing my IBCLC exams and stuff like that. I just learned that a lot of things I learned as an SLP were just not right, you know, about the, the movement of the tongue of the babies and stuff like that. So we all had to, to put the parts together. And that was really interesting for me. Yeah. Like I mean, that's definitely two really different perspectives to put together and, mm -hmm. and to kind of bring it whole. Traditionally in Germany, what age would an SLP start treating so usually not before three or four, only if you have very sick children or sometimes, you know, also like SLPs are working in hospitals with a premature babies, then they do, but not, uh, of course, not as a lactation consultant, but they are treating the feeding or uh, bottle feeding, stuff like that, or suck training, something like that, what they would do. But usually for articulation therapy, you would not start earlier than three or four years which is quite late also because, so I, I don't know how much you know about augmented communication, but I did this a lot when I was working, I've been working at a school. And I think uh, people in America, they are the children who have um, disorders in this um, region. They are treated much, much earlier with augmented communication than here in, in Germany as well. So this, we're still a little bit, in some areas, we're just a little bit behind, you know, I think. Yeah. Can you define what you mean by augmented communication? Yeah, that means alternative uh, communication. You know, if, if children are not able to communicate verbally, you just give them other devices, you know, which with which they can communicate. And uh, I think in Germany, so there are different systems, you know, you can do a sign language, something like that, that would be a very basic one, or you can communicate with pictures, or you can have like a computer talking for you, you know, something like you can use an iPad or something like that. And uh, which is, you know, I think in the US, you start at around two years, and here in Germany, you would also start around four or five years, not with, um, of course, not with sign language, but with computers, you use a talker you, you use for yourself. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I definitely wish myofunctional and the anatomy piece was more taught for SLPs. I think that it's a big piece missing here. Yeah. And it's one of those interesting things to me 
that in lactation, you know, I'm constantly seeing new clients, you know, it's one of those benefits and, and negatives of private practice that you're constantly getting in new people that I don't see people for, you know, months or years, like a lot of yes. other types of practices would, yes. right? And when my youngest daughter was uh, about three, she went to speech therapy from probably about, I'm trying to remember exactly, probably roughly a little before three until four and a half, almost five when we moved. Mm-hmm. And then we um, just stopped therapy because I felt like we were we had, we were super clear with everything except ours and it, you know, not even five, I felt like we'll get there. Not a big deal. Um, but it always really amazes me how SLPs and speech therapy is one of those things in the U S that's just, it's completely normal that you would go every week for years and years and years without Mm -hmm. results even. And it amazes me that it's not why there, there aren't more questions on it. Why we aren't saying, okay, you've been going every week for six months or a year. Mm-hmm. Why do we still need to go? What mm-hmm. What are we fighting against? Why are we not, you know, why are we not understanding where the body is and what it's trying to do? And mm-hmm. in our case, my daughter had a pretty severe posterior tongue tie and a lip tie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know that back then. And we were had it treated on the road when she was 10 and a half and then had to do palate expansion and, and all of the things that go down with that. But it also makes you wonder, it's like, that was a lot of time that someone mm-hmm. could have looked, right? Mm-hmm. And we could have been doing different exercises and different things like that. And mm-hmm. it's definitely something lacking in the US. I will say though, tongue tie knowledge is not, you know, even just assessment for tongue tie and just a basic understanding of how the tongue should have freedom of movement, what its function should be, yeah. mm-hmm. don't seem to be taught in any program. It's not part of IBCLC program. It's not part of nursing. It's not part of the SLP. It's not part of dental mm-hmm. programs. Like it is all in the US, it's all continuing education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anyone who's coming out in a practice with a license that's new, they probably don't have any of this. Okay. So yeah, it's really, so I think it's really lacking in the programs mm-hmm. in the US. Mm-hmm. I think it's, there is a difference here. Uh, so it's different in Germany, but you know, I know that here the the SLPs in Germany they they stopped using myofunctional therapy for a time because they were they were told or we were told a lot of the times from the ENTs and other you know physicians that myofunctional therapy is not working. I mean, you know. It's ridiculous in a way because when you when you think of people, musicians or singers or something like that, you know, even trumpet players and people like that, they use myofunctional training all the time to strengthen their muscles, to strengthen their throat, their pharynx, their larynx, you know, the lips, the um, yeah, the muscles in the face, and they're doing it all the time because they need to keep it up. They need the muscles, you know, and. So, but that's something we were told here also. But, you know, all in all, I would say, if you're speaking as a therapist, if you're coming to a point where you see that you're not doing any progress anymore, you always have to find a reason why is that, you know, if you're not finished. So, and of course, I would always say, okay, movement in any part of the body, you know, you always have to look at the whole person and you have to look at the rest of the body and see why is she not able to produce this, certain sound so what is the tongue not able to do it is a problem 
does she not know how to do it or is she not able to do it you know and this is always something that is to be asked but of course if you just not learn nothing about the body and stuff like that then it's difficult yeah and then there's something lacking but um, i'm not saying that every that every slp here in germany is doing a lot of myofunctional therapy also so but we we basically we all learn it so that's how much it is implemented then in the the private practice you know that's I think a huge difference between each therapist. So, right. I yeah. think one of the things I always say is that a good practitioner to me is someone who's curious um, yes. and partly in always wanting to learn more, right? And taking courses and asking questions and meeting from providers and just learning from everybody. But also, I think it's important to be curious, like you said, of if you're not making progress for years, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not making progress, we need to really stop and question why. And, you know, another spot where that's been a big issue in the U.S. is orthodonture, right? Like personally, as a kid, I mean, I had my tongue tie treated a year ago this month. So at 44 and my childhood basically looks like the uh, Baxter's, uh, you know, the Alabama tongue tie checklist mm -hmm. of that is my mm -hmm. childhood and, and mm -hmm. infancy. Okay. I like, yeah. I have every symptom on that list and a few extras and I had braces and headgear and bionators and retainers from like seven to 15. And the minute anything came off, everything moved back. Yeah. And I get that there wasn't a whole lot of people talking about it that back then. I mean, Kotla was, but he was across the country and, and not getting the kind of the recognition and the, the spread of knowledge that we get today, but you have to wonder why the practitioners didn't just stop and say, well, gee, this seems weird, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like we keep doing all these things and yet nothing is holding. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And I think we all just need to to think about those results a little bit more and to to wonder when we're doing something and not seeing a result. There, There is a reason, right? And we must be fighting against the body. And I mean- I don't know about you, but I think the body's always going to win. Like <laughs> until we get to that root cause, until we find a way to support both what the body needs and what we're trying to do together. I mean, it's yeah. fighting against the body. I mean, the tongue is really strong. It is going to do what it wants to do yeah, and what it I, needs I to do to function. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But, you know, um, I'm also thinking that it's not only the tongue which is strong you know because you know your feet and if you have problems with your hip or with your diaphragm it can affect your tongue as well you know so you're not only supposed to look at the tongue but all the other parts of the body as well who can have an influence and this is something you know i really think sometimes in this whole uh conversation about tongue ties and who is able to release and who is able to diagnose and who is who can do this and that which is overlooked you know because everything has an influence on everything, you know, and you always have to see what is the root cause. And the tongue tie sometimes, so sometimes it can just be also be just one piece, you know, in the puzzle. So, and um, this is just overlooked many, many times. So this is what I think here in Germany. So that, um, you know, 
I'm, I've been working now for many, many years in this area and having a, many, many clients and treated so many diets and lactation and, and tongue ties that sometimes I think it's, it's, it's seen as the, the one key, you know, to change everything in your life and everything in your health problems. And that is not true, of course, is also not true. You know, it's right. just one piece of a puzzle. Absolutely. I would definitely agree. And I think sometimes we overfocus on oral function. And yeah. I've seen, you know, I've seen dyads where they saw another SLP, they had the baby released when they were, you know, one, two, three months old, and they focused on oral function so much so that they did a lot more bottle feeding. And, you know, I'll see the mom at seven, eight, nine months, and they're saying, well, I really wanted to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we do this? And how do we get back to that? And I think sometimes when we look at just one piece of the picture, like oral function, we miss the dyad. Sometimes we miss how they are together, right? And how you really want to look at how mom and baby are interacting, how everything is working for them together. And sometimes, yeah, we do overly focus on one piece of the puzzle. I think in large part in the U.S., tummy time's been that right? People were trying to look at, at babies and their movement and their head and all these tongue-tie babies and how tight they were. And tongue type mm-hmm. or tummy time became this crazy big thing. And everyone's like, you have to do tummy time all the time and this yeah. and this and this. And I'm like, I think we're missing part of the picture, guys. <laughs> like mm-hmm. tummy time isn't bad, but it isn't the answer to everything either, yeah. right? It's not going to fix everything to lay the baby on the floor for 20 minutes a day. Like that is not, there, yeah. there's no magical fix-all. Yeah. But that's, I think sometimes, of course, it would be nice if there is. And sometimes that's what we're all looking for. Right. But yeah, so that's the same experience I have here. And, you know, I have also, I've been trained also in some kind of physical uh, therapy, you know, um, Mm -hmm. with babies. It's called Bobat. I don't, I think maybe you have the same kind in the US um, as well. So it's especially for infants and children. Um, I learned this because I wanted to learn a lot about babies, you know, so that I can treat them right or I, I know where to refer out. So and I can see a lot of um, babies who are having, you know, when I, I think my, yeah, maybe it's a posterior tie, but tongue function is too good. For example, um, when I did all my examinations, my oral examinations, I think now, but uh, it could be somewhere else. And sometimes, you know, it's just it's the hips, which is not so obvious at this moment. And then I have to refer out because, you know, I, I know some th- some things I can do as a therapist I'm allowed to do with the babies. But then sometimes I really need a different kind of therapy. And then it just works, you know, and then the tongue is moving much better. But because it's it cannot sometimes, you know, I want... Um, I want to have other diagnosis, you know, I want somebody in in the treatment with the babies who can look at other things also and say, well, yeah, maybe it's a tongue tie, but maybe it it can be influenced by this also. And this is something I think, which is missing a lot, a lot, a lot in this discussion, you know, and, um, and I think this is maybe this is, um, the difference between the U.S. and and uh, Germany. So lactation cons- or IBCLCs, I think, in the U.S., you know, and they have a different background than IBCLCs here in Germany. So to be a nurse, for example, in America is something very different than being a nurse here in Germany. And so if you're working in a private practice, you're nearly allowed, not allowed to do anything. You know, you can just do consultations, but 
usually you have to be a physician or a, a chiropractor that's something else or you have to have a job in a private practice as an uh, occupational therapist or something and you need to have the allowance of a physician to treat the baby and otherwise only the only thing you can do is just counsel you know in a way it's counseling and but nowadays tongue tie is a huge topic here in in germany all sorts of lactation consult it's not regulated and a lot of people are now treating oral function which i think is really weird to me because they don't know nothing about it in the end you know and um so and this is i think this that's it's a huge difference i don't know how it is in the us but this is um how it is in germany at the moment and that really no it's not a good development i have to say mm -hmm. yeah i think it's You know, it's it's different. There's IBCLCs in the U.S. that are nursing background. Like I was a nurse first. Mm -hmm. I was a labor and delivery nurse for 15 years, and I did a small stint a couple of years in the NICU as well. But I do know many IBCLCs who are not from a medical background, right? Mm -hmm. Jennifer Toe being probably one of the most knowledgeable IBCLCs, if not the most knowledgeable person I know. And she does not have a medical background. She has a mm -hmm. master's in fine arts. Like before she went down this pathway and, um, you know, for the most part, a lot of people who went down that pathway, the non-healthcare related IBCLC uh, got into it with La Leche League, right? They got into La Leche League and peer counseling and then went down the route to become an IBCLC. Yeah. And I trust me, I know some of them and they are amazingly knowledgeable. So I mm -hmm. don't think that you have to come from a nursing background But I do think that in the U.S. are like independence and autonomy lines are different. I mean, there's been a large push in the U.S. too in the last couple of years, especially since COVID, that now nurse practitioners are in a lot of states almost to the point of MDs. There are many states where they have as much autonomy to write prescriptions, order labs. Some mm -hmm. even do certain procedures and all this type of stuff. So there mm -hmm. is a lot more autonomy um, mm -hmm. coming since COVID too, for mm -hmm. nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, um, mm -hmm. nurse midwives, right? There's, there's a lot more autonomy. And even as a nurse, we still have a lot of autonomy and as an IBCLC. So there is a lot of kind of more freedom in this role in the U.S. It doesn't mean it's always a respected role, right? There's definitely, yep. definitely that kind of backlash where, You know, we don't necessarily get the collaboration we want with pediatricians or things like that. It depends upon the, obviously it depends upon the relationships and the, you know, but overall I would say it's it's a fairly common complaint among IBCLCs in the U.S. that we're not well respected with pediatricians and that we would love to mm -hmm. be more collaborative with them, right? Mm -hmm. We'd love, I'd love it to be one of those things that, you know, you went and you had your home from the hospital visit and your two-week visit and your one-month visit and all of those. And after the pediatrician came in and saw you or before the lactation consultant came and saw you and just said, how is feeding going? Right. Yeah. How is sleep? How is movement? Like how, you know, how is adjusting to parenting? Like the pediatricians are already trying to cover so much here. I, I really mm -hmm. feel that it would, it would benefit everyone. And I don't, You know, I, I'm sure it comes down in large part to money and reimbursing. And in the U.S., As the always. <laughs> medical system is such a mess, right, with the insurance. Mm -hmm. 
system. But I mean, we have, while we do have the private insurance system set up here about, I just did um, a podcast a couple of episodes ago about birth stats and facts. So I happen to know that about 45% of babies born in the U.S. every year are born on Medicaid, which is a state insurance, state or federal, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not quite the system that it used to be. It's not all private pay. Um, Mm -hmm. And in some areas that makes it harder. Like for me in Washington state, I cannot bill state insurance. Okay. As an RN or an IBCLC, they will not credential me. So mm-hmm. I can bill some private insurances. Like I do directly bill some insurances, um, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not something I can do for Medicaid, which is unfortunate because that leaves, you know, half the population out there without support because they're not being seen at, you know, there aren't IBCLCs at pediatricians' offices and such. Yeah. Okay. So access so, is definitely an issue here. Yeah. Is well, yeah, lactation mm-hmm. covered with insurance in Germany? No, no, it's not. It's not lactation. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. So because we have a different system. So we have, you know, every woman uh, giving birth in Germany has a right to has uh, to have a mid with midwife, which is covered by insurance. So uh, after birth and before birth and while birth, during birth, you can have a midwife and uh, this is covered by insurance. And usually it is known to be that midwives also do the lactation consultation and stuff like that. But not every midwife is trained in lactation consultation because they also don't learn it that much so it's very you know it depends on where you've learned or you've been learning and um how much knowledge you look for for yourself so and um lactation consultation is not it's not covered by insurance so they are free to cover it but we in germany have a different system so we have um so everybody here in germany is uh, covered has an insurance so there is this um medical insurance which is for everyone you know also if you don't have on your own money you are uh, have an insurance and then there are private insurances for people who earn a lot of money so and this is so but everybody has to be insured it's not possible to be in germany without an, a medical insurance so but this is not covered so i am in a very lucky spot because i am an slp and as an SLP, when I was doing my exams or preparing for my IBCLC exams, I was wondering why this is not part that um, is not part of my job. You know, the baby part is part of my job, you know, or a function that is my job as a um, as an SLP trained in swallowing disorders. And I can fee it, you know, I can bill it with the insurance. And that's what I started doing. But otherwise, you are not, you cannot, you know, the the parents can send it to the insurance. And if they are lucky, they, you know, get a reimbursement or something like that. But most of the times they don't, they just don't. So, but midwives can bill in lactation consultation, but not if you are a free IBCLC, you cannot bill it to the insurance. No, it's not possible. Yeah, there's, there are situations like that here. For example, I take my kiddos and I go to body work. Uh, monthly, and we see a myofascial release therapist who is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's covered by insurance because she's an OT. Mm-hmm. So it's really a nice benefit of, you know, it's fully covered. And yeah. it's because of her dual license, you know, because as an OT, she can build the insurance. But most body workers, like when I refer babies to body work, 
to chiropractic or myofascial release or cranial sacral or osteopathic, right? Most of the time they're not covered. Most of the time, those practitioners, most body work practitioners do not have a license that they can bill insurance in the U S so it's, it's a downside, but it's such a necessary part with babies that I, I don't like to send any baby for a tongue tie release without body work. It's like you said, you know, it's those, you can have trouble beating, but it can also be tight hips, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That body is yeah. all connected. And yeah. if we're treating one section, we need to be really sure that what we're doing is absolutely necessary and that we're going to get the best result possible so we don't ever have to do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, so I was, uh, when I'm just coming back to the masterclass, so I think what was most impressive to me was Brenna's work um, because Mm -hmm. most of the other stuff, you know, I have to say, I knew about this myofunctional, you know, procedures and also um, how everything, you know, you can do in the mouth of a baby. Most of the stuff I just knew, um, Mm -hmm. maybe one or two exercises were new to me, but all in all, it was just not, still it was good to go there. But I think all this work on the reflexes with Brenna, that was something really new for me. I haven't heard about that. And I implemented it in my practice uh, immediately. So, and that was really, that was really amazing for me and still is um, to the day. So, and I'm working a lot with that. And I mean, you know, as a therapist, I'm allowed to do that. So that's one thing, you know, and people, you know, they are coming to my practice, not only once, but they are coming for several times just because it is paid by insurance, of course, you know, if they did to have to pay it out of their own pocket uh, all the time, it would be more difficult for them. And they would just think, yeah, you know, we have real tongue tie providers here who are charging a lot of money for, I mean, for German measurements, you know. And um, so, you know, and afterwards, if you have to pay all the treatment around on yourself, you're just thinking um, twice, you know, if you're going to spend all the money. And um, so what But what I really like to do is to enable the to parents to do a lot of work with the babies on their own so that you not always have to go to a practitioner and to find someone who is able to do this work because this is another problem, you know, even if you have a lot of osteopaths or chiropractors around, if they, are, they don't know anything about swallowing and lactation and babies suckling as well, sometimes it just doesn't help, you know, because they don't see the same things that you see. And then, you know, it's of no use. And so often parents just go there and say, well, I don't know, nothing changed, you know, it's just like, I couldn't see anything, any result and something like that. And then, you know, it's, it's really kind of depressing, because there's so much learning in the field of lactation and how babies act at the breast and uh, how mothers and how lactation functions, which is not known here in several medical areas, you know. And so it is very difficult to establish a good collaborative care also here in Germany. That's It's really difficult. I find it really difficult. And 
So and now I think so I, I try I try to help the parents so that they can do a lot of body work on their own and which is also difficult. I know that, you know, but um, so I always want to enable the parents to do something with their children because it can make it can be funny and can be nice, you know, to touch your baby and to do some exercises with them. And so that's that's my that is my way at the moment, how I I'm trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely, I agree. I think empowering the parents is huge. And yeah. I always teach rhythmic movements as part of my practice as well with all tongue-tie babies. And part of it is to calm the nervous system. Part of it's, you know, that mm-hmm. brain mapping, getting the body moving. And part of it is calming that mom's nervous system, right? And getting absolutely. those parents doing something fun together because, when you're in that throes of tongue tie, when feeding is difficult, when you're doing all these oral exercises and you're, you know, taking the baby to body work and you're worried about how you're going to afford this. And and if your baby's in pain and just all of this stuff, it can be a lot for new parents. And so I do love using those rhythmic movements as a way of empowering parents to hold your baby, to play with your baby, to move that baby and to reconnect, right? Because it can become kind of, um, just really stressful. And each interaction can just be really focused in like, okay, we have to do this great latch. Okay. We have to get this exercise done. Right. And so it can be a way of relaxing those parents, but I'm, I I get what you're saying about body work and I'm very picky. There are, you know, short lists of body workers that I refer to, and I have clients all over the country. And like right now I have one in Pennsylvania one near Memphis, Tennessee, and one Mm -hmm. over in South Carolina. And Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time this week on the phone with providers over there with body workers connecting Mm -hmm. and both before they see the baby. And then once I, you know, choose someone and refer after they see the baby and discussing what they're seeing and how it's working and everything, because I I don't want to just send my client off and say, Hey, good luck. (laughs) Right. Hope you find someone who can help you with that. That's not how I practice. And I think it's important to send them off to someone who I really do think is going to understand that swallowing, like you said, and the, you know, the mechanics. And for example, I like to send them to someone who will also adjust or do whatever work they're doing during breastfeeding. Yes, of course. It's, you know, but that's not always the case, unfortunately. I know. It's rarely the case. Right? And it's like, that's so important because not only do you get actually this very interesting mix to me of like, you get a still baby. They're Mm -hmm. not, you know, upset. They're usually much more calm and still. And yet you get movement in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And so that movement in the mouth can really help. Like I spoke the other day with a therapist in, I think it was the one in Pennsylvania. And she was saying that they don't have like their license says they're not allowed to reach in any orifices. Oh, Mm -hmm. this was Michigan. Sorry. But anyways, she said that they're not, so they're not allowed to reach in and adjust in the baby's mouth. Yeah. It's true. It's the same here in Germany. Yeah. You know, in a lot of States in the U S they are allowed to, and that's a very common part of it is adjusting that vulnerable and adjusting the palate and working on Mm -hmm. the pterygoid muscles. But in some States they're not allowed to. And so Mm -hmm. they use that breastfeeding to help move things as they're adjusting outside the baby's head, mm-hmm. you know, like they're working on the baby's head and neck and stuff. And while baby's feeding and they use breastfeeding as, as a way of helping with that. 
Mm -hmm. and it can be really amazing. But yeah, I'm, I'm very picky when it comes to body workers because I want someone who's going to really understand and I want someone who's going to help make a difference, right? I don't want a baby to have to go to 10 appointments before they see a difference. Yeah, right. And I get what you're saying. And I think, you know, just coming back to what you said earlier, that you want to have somebody that is still curious, you know, you have to be curious the same all the time. So and what my experience is with some body workers, you know, even when they are osteopaths and something uh, osteopath, then sometimes I think they think that they know everything about babies, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. and they are not really curious. So what 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 can be the reason for these difficulties and how is it at, when the baby is breastfeeding they just believe that they have the magical tool to uh, to fix the baby and then afterward it's going to be better and this is not helpful you know because um so rarely osteopaths and chiropractors are referring out you know mm -hmm. for lactation consultation so um They are rarely referring out to me, even though they know that I am paid by insurance. So who is referring to me are the midwives usually, you know, mm -hmm. the midwives and now pediatricians also, but um, rarely the body workers. And in Germany, I can tell you nearly every baby goes to body work after birth. So, and they go there most of the time because they have problems with the stomach or they have problems breastfeeding, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> problems with the stomach or with anything else or with crying is almost always related to a drinking or breastfeeding problem. We agree on that, right? Right. But they rarely refer out, rarely. Yeah. And, and actually, so. as you say that, I'm thinking about there's some chiropractors that I used to live and work near in California, and I sent them many, many clients, like many, many, many clients, because mm -hmm. You know, as we're talking, I like my clients to go get body work. I see the difference it makes. And I I think I maybe got two or three referrals back. I mean, most okay. of the time I'm not getting them back. Right. And mm -hmm. it's and if they're not, and it's not a personal thing because it's not like they're referring to another lactation consultant. And I'm not saying that they should have to refer only to me. That is definitely not what I'm saying. But when I do have someone um, you know, I, I've asked other families and stuff have, they've been to the body worker beforehand and then they found me and I'll ask, you know, did they recommend getting lactation support? Oh no, but we decided to do it on our own. You know, they said that this would, would get the feeding back on track. And I think that that's definitely an issue that is definitely present in the U S that there's a lot of talk of collaborative care, right? And in some pockets, there's amazing collaborative care. Yeah. Definitely. But unfortunately, a lot of it is just talk. A lot of it is just people saying, oh, yeah, I love to collaborate with other people and then not referring any of their clients. Yeah. And it's more than referral, you know, I mean, to refer to other, that's one part, you know, whenever, whenever I think, you know, I, I'm, um, Here's, here's a border for me or something, or I need an, another experience. So I refer out and they don't necessarily have to refer back. But if I say collaboration, I need people you who are willing to, to get into contact with me about the clients, you know, and even if it's just a short notice. So, and that doesn't have to be every client or every diet or something like that. But if there's something special, I want, you know, and I, uh, I want a short notice and I need to know that we're working in the same direction, you know, if, 
I am referring out and people are telling, I don't know, completely different stuff because, you know, if they've been trained badly or something like that, or even the parents are going to listen to that, you know, mm -hmm. they are going to listen to that. And this is, this is, I'm, I mean, we don't need to have all the same opinion on everything, but it's for the parents, it's very important to have a, something like, you know, that they can settle in, you know, that they um, feel connected to all the people they are working with and they are connected together so that it's not everybody is working on his own and um, this is something that's really happening uh, really happening because it takes also a lot of resources yes of course and it's always about the money in the end you know if you are having right. many clients I do have quite a lot of clients in my practice so I cannot you know I cannot talk about everybody with every um, provider I'm working with you know 10 minutes a day it's not possible because I don't get paid for that and so I have to to live on that so this has to work on short notice and um, so you have to get to know each other to do collaborative care you have to know uh, in which way you are thinking and you have to find some some points you know where you have to where you can you know you here on this point I have to get together I have to take notes or something like that yeah and this is this is really difficult you have to establish something you know in in which you can live and if in which you can work and um, most of the time it's not happening so it's Absolutely. And I think on that topic too, part of collaborative care is also staying in your lane, right? Yeah, um, when I refer to a body worker and mo most of the time I've directly discussed this case with them, unless it's someone that I refer to, you know, very regularly, but even then a lot of times I'll shoot a quick email or something and say, Hey, I'm sending you this client. It's important that to me that they're going to get that body work information from them but they're not going to get contradictory feeding information, right? <laughs> um, I've had a couple and one of them was actually a, a chiropractor who was also a recent IBCLC. And mm -hmm. I sent her a client. This was our first client together, actually. And I, you know, they came back and they said, oh, well, she suggested we change up all the feeding stuff that, that mm -hmm. you had. And I reached out to her and I said, okay. So I get that you're a lactation consultant too, but your role here was body work. And if you really feel like we should change the feeding plan because you have that knowledge, please come to me. I said, so you and I can hash it out and figure out, you know, what we both, you know, think is best for this client. I said, but when we contradict each other, it's very confusing for the parents, right? Mm -hmm. It's very overwhelming for new parents to get all this contradictory information and, you know, that conversation actually went really well with this chiropractor IBCLC. And we have since had multiple clients together and everything's been very smooth. And it was really good to kind of discuss and, and figure out how we wanted our roles to go together. But I think it's also important to understand that and to stay in our roles. And like, I would never, I would never tell parents oh, well, you know, that chiropractor shouldn't be adjusting that part or why are they looking at this, you know? Like, you rarely I mean, do that, but right? the other part, it's happening all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing. Everyone everyone seems to have an opinion and want to, to tell how to breastfeed without any training, right? They're like, well, I breastfed. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not the same thing. Right. That's personal knowledge is not the same thing as professional education and experience. Right. But yeah, everyone does seem to have an opinion. 
and yeah. and jump in a little too frequent. It's yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, but you know, um, if I can say something, um, so all this we are talking about, you know, oral exercises and all this stuff. So in Germany, for me, it's very clear that this is part of uh, SLP's work. I think it's different, uh, diff uh, different in in the US, but here in Germany. Working in the baby's mouth, you know, this is something therapists do, uh, uh, SLPs do. That's m my part of the work. So I really, as you know, for years, for some years now, tongue tie is really a topic in lactation consultation, and it has to be. But staying in the lane also has to be. And this is really difficult, you know, because they, uh, a lot of lactation consultants, they don't know, really don't know a lot about oral function and differential diagnosis and stuff like that because they haven't learned about that. Of course they haven't, you know, because swallowing and that it's, it's all not part of their, you know, of the training. And so what I see that there's giving out a lot of advice on tongue ties, on oral function, on oral development, how everything is going, you know, to develop if you don't do this and that. A lot of anxiety is is happening, you know. And so if you don't release the tongue tie, then your baby will develop or your child will develop this or that. And this is just not the way you can do it. And of course, not if you are just a lactation consultant here in Germany, because you don't treat grown up people or older people or older children who are have a, having oral dysfunction because it's just not your part of the job. And this is what's happening all the time here. And um, so I'm having a lot of clients now who are full, you know, very anxious about the future of their kids if they don't do this and that and if you don't use this special provider if they don't and it's very important to say that you always have a lot of options in life and that your life is not you know your child is not doomed or your future is not doomed because you just decide to try a little longer or to do take a different provider or just have a a scissors release and not use a laser release and stuff like that. So there's a lot of misinformation going on and from people who are not educated very well, you know, and this is something, yeah, I'm really worrying about because um, a part of my work now is to calm down parents' nervous systems. And yeah, and, you know, sometimes it's really difficult because they just, of course, they want to believe me, but they are so filled up with, you know, wrong information or uh, with anxiousness that they're just not able to listen anymore you know yeah I and agree that is... unfortunately happens here too and I would say that I always tell parents any provider who's telling you this is going to happen to your child mm -hmm. we should be wary because I don't know anyone who can see the future yeah right. is there a list of things that can happen absolutely but you know certain people in tongue tie have certain things and we can never know which ones. I had two kids that were both tied and both had totally different symptoms and issues. One of them mm -hmm. had to do palate expansion. One of them didn't, right? Like mm -hmm. there's no way to predict which child's going to have, you know, speech issues versus which one's going to have a vaulted palate and sleep issues, right? Like mm -hmm. we can't predict that. All that when I see clients, what I tell them is I can tell you that if we don't correct this, your baby will have to compensate. 
which compensations they're going to do, I cannot predict, right? They might be physical. We might, you know, not crawl normally. We might toe walk, right? There could be different physical things. There could be in that big motor movement. There could be speech things. There could be swallowing and GI things. I can never know, but I know that there'll be compensations. But unfortunately, you're right. Too often people scare those parents and tell them, well, if you don't do this, X, Y, and Z is all going to happen. And it's, how, how would you possibly know that? Yes. And, and of course, and you have to say, there are also, uh, there's also the possibility that compensations are so small that you can live the rest of your life, you know, with, uh, and don't have issues that are too big. And what I really want the parents to know is that you can, of course, you can have a tongue tie correction at any time in your life. You know, nice. if you see that it's not working out, you can do it. You know, it's not because a lot of parents believe if they're not going to do it in the, in the, when the baby, you know, and they have the reason, maybe they have not the result they wanted to have, or it's the tongue function is not perfect. You know, mm -hmm. I, I always say, I'm not looking for perfectionism. I'm looking for function and right. something that you are fine at this moment and what was happening afterwards. So it can be that you release the tongue tie and that your child is going to have swallowing issues, but for a different reason, you know, you mm -hmm. cannot prevent anything maybe with this. You just don't know because nothing is just, you know, one factor. It's always a lot of factors coming in and ruling in in life. And this is something which is really important to know for the for the parents. And but this is not the story that is told, you know, right. and um, and this is something, you know, because I really I really would love to have breastfeeding consultation or lactation consultation that this is going to be regulated here in Germany. I think it's not going to happen, maybe. But this would be perfect, you know, that not uh, so many people can talk about this um, issue and that you have to have a, a certain training, you know, that what is correct in medicine. But I mean, you know, also tongue releases physicians who are trained also in ethical things and stuff like that. They should know what they are supposed to tell a patient and whatnot, you know, and they are using the same things, you know, to, I don't know, maybe to that the people are paying the high prices for the reasons. I don't know what the reason is, but yeah, it's difficult. It's really a difficult topic now. Mm. I've, I've been in, well, as I traveled, I, um, all across the country, I spent a lot of time with release providers and I watched many release providers release babies and meet with parents and, you know, all over the country. And I can't tell you how many times I was sitting there in the room as an IBCLC, listening to them tell parents, oh, yeah, this release will fix everything. You don't need to do anything else. This uh, this will fix breastfeeding. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I I'm literally in the room. <laughs> like, what the hell? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's just shocking sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, I I've heard it from so many. And it's just, it's astounding. And you just kind of wonder where it's all coming from. And it's like, I, I want to look at them and go, look, I, I didn't come here to tell them how to do how to do dentistry. I'm not telling them, mm -hmm. you know, that I know how to release or what I'm doing with the tongue. Why are you taking over and breastfeeding knowledge that you have no education in? Right. Like, yeah. where, where does this come off? It's an interesting thing. I think in the U.S. breastfeeding education is it's not really seen as a field. 
Mm -hmm. You know, the IBCLE has only been around since, what, the early mid 80s. And so it's not really seen as a field. It's seen as like a hobby and Mm -hmm. something that anyone can jump into. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate because the information that I'm giving clients is, you know, evidence-based. It's Mm -hmm. not my own personal experience. I'm not just sitting here Mm -hmm. saying, oh, you should try this nursing position Mm because that's what I did with my daughter. That's not how medicine is supposed to work. And yet can't tell you how many pediatricians are comfortable giving that information and saying the same thing. Yeah. I know that's the same thing here. So, you know, that's, that's a whole different topic. I think right. <laughs> you can talk for hours about this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's difficult. So, you know, after when I came back from the masterclass and so I, I always thought, okay, we have to have somebody here, you know, uh, finding to do a good laser release, you know, with a CO2 laser and stuff like that. And it just happened to be that there are some, but uh, this is not here in Germany for me. It just didn't work out in the collaboration. So, and now I have somebody um, close to me and um, she's doing really good releases, but she's taking just this, uh, not but with a scissor or mm-hmm. the scalpel. And it's it's really working out really good, but she's not doing lip tie releases. So, and right. um, so, and so I had to adjust to that, you know, because yeah. Didn't want to, so I didn't want to refer the parents out, you know. And so I started. Then I said, okay, I have to, I have to adapt my work. So I'm just telling the parents, I'm not sure if the lip tie, the lip tie might be involved, but this is the way I would suggest you do it, and it's your decision. So you can go to a different provider, but I would try this. And then I found out, you know, in a way. So I haven't, of course, I have not collected data, but since then. I rarely have any patients I send to lip tie releases. So this has changed a lot in my practice. And, um, you know, I'm doing things a bit different now. And this just made me think, you know, because I had to adapt because I couldn't refer out that easily anymore. So I had to adapt my practice and it, it, it worked. So I'm sometimes I have clients who say, well, yeah, I'm still a little bit in pain. And then we try and see, you know, when we take the lip out of the summary. So and um, and they, they know that it is better. But then the parents decide we're not going to let, you know, to let the tie release and see how it is developing. And that's just fine with me, you know, because I think the parents are very, they are have the empowerment, you know, to decide on their own if they are informed. Yeah. So yeah. and um so that changed a lot. So I'm I I'm just yeah, I think I just went back uh, several steps back, but in my opinion, I have the feeling that I improved my work, my hands-on work with the parents and the babies. And it's working out just fine. So for my clients and for me, and I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's amazing. Some of the differences in lactation and tongue tie across the world, right. And how things are different, but mm-hmm. I think that your clients are really lucky that you have this dual licensure and that you are as well to have these, this knowledge, right. And this perspective yeah. that most of us don't have. I mean, I don't have SLP and a myofunctional understanding to that degree. So I think it's a really special thing. And I, I think that's really wonderful that allows you to, to do what's necessary in an area that would be harder without that other degree yes. as well. Yes. And, and I always think that I, you know, I'm, I am happy that 
you know, I have this experience. So, you know, it's, it's not because I worked a lot. I think most of my experience really come from swallowing disorders and treating neurological patients, you know, we have new neurological disorders. And sometimes I just thought, well, in a way, babies are neurological patients also, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not right. But, you know, it's just like some of the things I do in, in therapy with, with patients, I, I just try to adapt it to the babies and it just works out right fine, you know, for me and, and the parents. And yeah, and I think, you know, for me, in a way, I would love to have this lactation education implemented in 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 SLPs here in Germany as well because then you know it's it's I think it's good for parents it's good for the SLPs as well um if they know more about lactation so it just it, it would be a win-win situation for everybody but um so I know if this is going to happen we'll see what the future brings mm -hmm. right I mean it sounds like it'll be it'll be an interesting thing and it would be great if it happened and I I think I'll be watching the climate, you know, and what it's like in Germany, because I wasn't aware of, of all these differences. So I really thank you for taking the time to talk to me and to tell me about the climate and how it's so different in Germany. And I love the fact that, you know, through technology and, and travel, like when you came to the masterclass that we can, we can all share and learn together. And yeah, that's great. It, it really helps it really helps understand sometimes even your own little backyard more when you understand how it can be different in other parts of the world. And I think it's important to not just work in a vacuum, right? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really so sincerely thank you for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katie, for having me. It really was a pleasure for me. Yes. Well, thank you again. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change you. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast today and learned something new. If you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share.